morning. I encourage you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The desire this morning is that we would see and know and experience and taste God's mercies and comforts uh, in some deeper, fresher, and new ways. Paul opens his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, introducing himself again, telling them who it's from, the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints, the church of God and all the saints in all of Achaia, the church and the saints are synonymous. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The Word of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as uh, your people, as your church, as the saints here in Hickson, and we ask, Father, as we come even now, that you would settle our hearts and our minds that we may hear, that you would soften us, that we may receive, that you would come near to us, that we may be changed, that you would open our eyes and our hearts that we may know you and love you and see you and experience you in richer and deeper ways as our Father, as the one who comforts us at all times. For we ask and we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And so in verses 3 and 4, which is really where we are spending our time this morning, uh, as I read through there, I don't know if you caught it, but five times in those two verses, five times he uses the word comfort. If you read on in verses 5, 6, and 7, if you go through 7, he uses the word comfort, the same word, ten times. So five in our two verses and ten over these other few verses. And so it is difficult to overemphasize what Paul is trying to emphasize here. And we know that repetition is one of the ways that in writing and communication that we emphasize things. And so as Paul is writing this, and again and again he uses this word, trying to bring home uh, a truth and a, an understanding of who God is to his people. He hammers it home by the repetition of this word. And, and the truth that he is trying to communicate, that Paul is trying to get across to his people, of all men, it is something that Paul personally understands. Of all men, as he tries to, to, to bring across the idea of the God of all comfort and the Father of mercy who comforts us in all our affliction. Paul had been stoned. Paul had been whipped. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been shipwrecked. Paul had been snake, snake bit. Paul had experienced hardship in ways that many of us can't even begin to imagine. And beyond many of those physical, he was slandered and maligned by the very people he sought to minister to. His most recent, he describes verses 8 to 11, even as he's talked to them about God's comfort. In verses 8 to 11, he describes his most recent difficulties. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. It got ugly. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, 
so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received this sentence of death. But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said all of this happened to cause us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. All of this that he describes, his affliction and his hardship and the depth of the things that he was experiencing. And so what Paul is saying, even as he, he comes out of the gate with this benediction, this blessing, this doxology, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The truth that Paul is speaking about here comes flaming out of the heart of a living man. It comes flaming out of the heart of somebody who had suffered and experienced those things to the very depth where he despaired of life itself. But he knows and has experienced the things that he is trying to communicate to us and to the church. J.S. Stewart commenting on this said he's not looking at the map of a wonderful country in which he has never set foot. He's living in it. He's there. He knows. He speaks about that which he himself has experienced. And so he is doing exactly what he says in the text, that we are able to comfort others with the comfort where which we have been comforted by God. And that's what he's doing in this letter to God's people. It's what he's doing even this morning through the centuries and through the ages to us. So what is comfort? He says he is the God of all comfort. That's who he is. He is the God, the deity of comfort. And so what is this comfort that he speaks of? Because the word, as we use it here, we read it across the page. The word comfort has evolved through time. A lot of words do, that it meant one thing in past, and the way we use it, it kind of takes on a new tone. And, and so the word comfort has done that. We think about a comfortable income, right? And so we might think of, of ease, you know, or luxury, the ability to uh, an easier life, a comfortable, you know, a comfortable home is a is a cozy home, a soft home, a a luxurious home. And so it has, in many ways, a a soft feeling to it, at least to me, the idea of comfort. But the word in the text here, as it comes from the Greek, the word underneath it is paraklesis. It's a word that means to call alongside, To call someone alongside, para is alongside, paraklesis, to call someone alongside. And that always means in the context of Scripture for for help, for strength, for uh, reinforcement, an advocate. It's the word, you would know the word, you might recognize it very often. We speak of the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. It's the same word group, the paraclete, the helper. It's when Jesus is leaving and he is preparing his, his people for his absence, and he tells them that I am going to, in John 14, I'm going to send another helper to help you when I'm gone. Another helper like myself, another paraclete, another one to come alongside like me as I have walked alongside of you, as I have been in many ways your helper, your strength, your encourager. I'm going to send another. The Holy Spirit will be the, the paraclete, the helper the advocate who will come alongside to strengthen and encourage you. And even the word that we use in English to translate this paraclete, this idea of calling alongside to help, the word comfort, 
comes, derives from the Latin. Again, you hear two words in there, come, fort, right? And, and the idea of fort should be obvious. It's where we get that word fort from, right? It's a, it's a, it, when you build something, it's a place of strength. And so to come fort is to come with strength, to come alongside, to help someone, to bolster them, to reinforce them, to encourage them, to give strength. You know, a forte is somebody's, what, something they're strong in, right? It's their forte. It's their place of strength. And so to comfort is to come and give support, bear up, strengthen. And so it doesn't have that soft idea. It doesn't mean to coddle in some way or soft living. It means to support and strengthen in our weakness, to give reinforcement to, to make strong, to give power. And so Stewart again, J.S. Stewart says, this then is the distinguishing thing about Christian comfort. It's bracing. It's rallying. It's invigorating. It reinforces. It strengthens. It bears up. And so in Deuteronomy 33, speaking of the Lord like this, he says, There is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help, to your comfort, to your strengthening. Through the skies in his majesty, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms, the everlasting arms underneath to support you, to bear you up, to cause you to stand. He replenishes our resources and gives us a supernatural resilience. And so this comfort that he speaks of when he is the God of all comfort, you can see him as he says in Deuteronomy, who comes through the heavens for your help. He is the God of all comfort. Verse 3, blessed be the God, as he starts out in this doxology, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is the father of mercies. Blessed there, as most of you know, blessed literally means to make happy, uh, to be made satisfied in a context like this where you speak of the God who is blessed. Blessed be the God is to adore God in this way, to adore, to praise, to worship. Blessed be this God. Adored is this God. And then he says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you notice that that is... It is different than the name that is often used for him for in, the, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You rarely hear that in the New Testament. Those guys are mentioned, and it's not that that, in a sense, isn't still true. But he is he's referred to in the New Testament by this, in a sense, new covenant name. One of his new covenant names is the God, not of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a covenant name. In Leviticus 26, 42, it says, Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. This didn't make it to the slide. So Leviticus 26, 42. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember my covenant with Isaac. And I will remember my covenant with Abraham. Right? And so when we say he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're saying that's in a way of, of, of capturing, of summarizing his, his covenant with the patriarchs. And so when we in the later generations would speak of the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the covenant that he made with our fathers, he will remember that covenant. And we as his people stand in that covenant. But you and I no longer look to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
But you and I look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time we take communion, we say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There is a new covenant in that sense. And we remember his covenant in and through the Lord Jesus in his life and his death for us. In the New Testament, Israel and the patriarchs and the old covenant are all gathered and fulfilled in Christ. He fulfills all of the covenant promises to the patriarchs and to Israel. He is the one true Son of God, the one true Israelite. And so in the New Testament, we refer then to the one who sums up all of these things in himself, all the Old Testament promises and covenant in himself, to the Lord Jesus Christ, our covenant head. And so now as Christians, we're united by our faith to Christ. And so as he is, the new covenant is in him and in his blood, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob summed up in him. And as the covenant is in him, when we are in Christ by faith, when our faith is in him, we are in him, united to him by his spirit and in the covenant with the Father in Christ. Which is why we stand so secure in that covenant. We don't stand on our own feet. We stand in Christ. We are one with Him in His sonship. One with Him in His acceptance before the Father. And, and so we are sons and daughters accepted and adopted in Christ. And so God, our God and Father, but only because we are in Christ by faith, only because we are in covenant with God by faith in Christ. So he is our God and Father in Christ and only in Christ. Outside of Christ, he is not. He must be adopted into the family through faith in him to stand in this covenant with him where our standing and our acceptance and our sonship before the Father is in him. And so when he says, praise be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our covenant in and through him, the Father of mercies, that he is our Father, the Father of our mercies, the mercies that he gives to us, our Father of mercies because we're in Christ. And so all mercy flows to us all mercy comes to us as his children adopted in, standing in, our covenant representative, our covenant head in Christ. It all flows to us there, which is why blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in Jesus Christ has become the, our Father of mercies. And so... He's the father of loving compassion to his children. The loving compassion that he has to his son in Jesus, he has toward us. He cares for us. He's concerned for us like a father. When we struggle, when we're afflicted, how do you concern for your children? Sometimes whether they listen to you or not, or whether you can help them or not, or there's anything you can do for them or not, there's a tenderness in your heart toward your children. We are concerned for them, and we pray for them, and we want them to prosper. We want them to do well. We, we want them to experience those things. It's the tender heart of a parent. 
And he is the Father, our Father of mercies in Christ. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion, mercies to those who fear him, to those who repent and put their faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ as their covenant head. To, To them he is a father of compassion. Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is to us in Christ. He is the God of all comfort. And that word hopefully now is filled with some strength for you. He is the God of all comfort. He is the God of all coming alongside to strengthen us and to encourage us and to enable us and to cause us to stand, which it says in so many ways throughout the Scriptures to support and reinforce and make us strong. He alone, the Scripture tells us, we look in so many places for comfort. We look in so many wrong places when we're hurting and when we're feeling our weakness. And there's so many ways that we pacify or seek to gratify or satisfy or to seek in so many places other than the one place, the one who is the God of all the comfort that you and I could possibly need all the strength that you could possibly need. He is the God of all of it. He is the God who is able to supply it to us in our times of need. His grace is sufficient for our weakness. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, and so this is why the psalmist who knows this full well, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. That means he will cause you to stand. You will not lose your ground. You will not fall. He is the one who is the God of all the comfort and strength that we need. In all of our afflictions. He is the God who delights to come to the aid and to the support of his children. He's the Father of mercy toward us. He is a God who delights then, as I delight, whatever I tell my kids, whatever I can do for you, I will do it. There are many of us who would say, I would die for my kids. If I had to trade, I would trade. You know, there are very few of us who don't understand that he would die for us, and he does. That his compassion, that his mercy, right? that his his desire to, to strengthen us in salvation, to stand in the covenant, he has shed his own blood. And so he comforts us, he says, he is our God and Father in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, so the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who then, verse four, comforts us in all of our affliction. So how many of afflictions does he say he will comfort us in? He says he comforts us in all of our afflictions. Because he is the God who is with us. The God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. He comforts us in all of our struggles. He doesn't remove us from them. Many of us, we sometimes pray the wrong thing. We always want deliverance and 
I don't, I don't know that deliverance always looks like being delivered out of it. It often looks like deliverance often looks like the strength to overcome in the midst of it. We're delivered by that power that allows us to be conquerors. To excel and to stand in the midst. And so he doesn't remove them from us. He says he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Right? And this is what Jesus prays for. You remember in John 17 at the end of his, his going away time with his disciples, teaching them, preparing them, and then finally praying for them. It's one of the only prayers of Jesus that we have in all the scripture. I think there's like a one sentence prayer somewhere else. John 17 really is the only place he captures Jesus praying for us. And one of the things that he prays is simply, Father, I do not ask that you take him out of the world. That you would keep them, guard them from the evil one, cause them to stand in the midst of the world. We're in the world, we're not going to be of the world, and he will cause us to stand in the midst of it. We're not removed. What that means is from, he says, in this world you will have trouble, you will have affliction, you will experience the fallenness of this world right to the day in a sense that you die and experience that very end of the fallenness and brokenness of this world. You, I, I'm not taking you out of it. You're going to travel through it. You're going to travel the very path that he traveled. In our afflictions, God comforts his people. He visits us with strength. Right? He comes near to us and upholds us with his power in all of our afflictions, it's of all kinds, whether they're physical or spiritual and our spiritual struggles or emotional and the ways that we struggle that way in our confusion and the conflicts that we experience in this life and in our homes and in our work and even in our church and sickness and in strength in all these places when the pain is physical or when we're feeling betrayed and the pain is emotional or we're feeling slandered and we're finding it difficult in the face of others, and we stand exposed. When relationships are difficult, when we faith, face death itself, the last enemy, in all our afflictions, He is with us to uphold us, to strengthen us, and reinforce where we are weak, He is strong. How many times and ways does He say it? When we are weak, He is strong. He renews our faith and he kindles our hope. And hope never disappoints. He strengthens our courage and he enables us. The word comfort, when it says that he comforts us in all of our affliction, the word comfort here in the Greek is a present active participle. While that doesn't mean a whole lot to most of you, what it means is that it's a it's a present action that keeps going on. It's not something that's done, that was done. It's not something that was, is done once and you move on. That present, active, participle, ing is something that goes on and on. It's something that he continues to do, that he comforts us, that he keeps on comforting us. He's always doing it. He's constantly doing it. He's unfailingly doing it in all of our afflictions all the time. There are no afflictions, no matter how severe. Sometimes we think that the, the affliction or the struggle or the, the thing is, is so 
severe, that maybe this will be the thing, or this is the place, or this is the way where I somehow his, his help, his grace, his presence, his power, his support, his comfort won't reach me in that place. His tender care and compassion doesn't make it. But the scripture tells us there is nothing, nothing that we can face or go through that is beyond his grace. And in Romans 8, I said this recently in another context, and believe it is true, Romans 8 is like, if you look at the Bible, it is, it is one of the highest peaks in the Bible. And, and of Romans 8, the, the last section of it, the last verses of it are like the summit of that peak in, in all of Scripture where Paul celebrates and, and goes into another doxology and another uh, almost ecstasy of what God has done and how secure and powerful it is. And so he says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? That is his tender mercies and his comfort and his strength and his grace toward us. What will separate us? And then he starts listing stuff. And I only gave half the list. Tribulation shall distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No. There's nothing as extreme as you can think of. That if you are in Christ, and you are his, and he is your covenant head, there is nothing that you can face till the sword takes your head off. And all these things, he says, were more than conquerors through him who loved us with his tender mercies and his comfort. Loved us with his strength, with his coming alongside to support us and to make us to stand in the evil day, in the day of suffering, in the day of difficulty, in whatever day it is. No, we're more than conquerors through him. In, it is in our extremity. In fact, he has said it over and over again. It's actually in those extremities that in our weakness where he shows his strength. He says that in those times of weakness when the power of Christ is actually manifest and he's the one who we see is strong and glorious and who is worshipped and honored not because we are anything but because he is everything to us. So Philippians 4, 12 and 13 this is what Paul is talking about Sometimes we quote the last part of it and don't always catch the context. He says, I know what it is to be brought low. I know what it is to be afflicted. You know, we just read it here. I know what it is to be so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We received, we felt like we had received the sense we thought we were going to die. And he says, and I have learned and I know how to abound. I know how to be in that low place and I know how to prosper. In any and every circumstance, I've learned a secret. The secret of facing whether I have plenty and I'm I'm, I'm taken care of in that way or whether I'm hungry. I've learned the secret. In abundance and in need or in hunger, I can do them all. I can do, I I can face any circumstance. Give me the high one, the temptations that come with having a lot. Or give me the low one of being hungry and burdened unto death. He says, I've learned a secret. I I can do them all. Through him who comes alongside and strengthens me. 
who walks with me through the valley, who walks with me through all those places, who never leaves me nor forsakes me. It's Christ in us. It's the hope of glory. The indwelling Christ who who is Emmanuel, God with us, even to the very end of the age, who never leaves or forsakes. It's Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. It's a longer passage you should read, but he says this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will conquer. You will stand. You will rise to the other side. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flame will not consume you. Because I am with you, and I will be with you. I am the Lord. I am your God, the God of all comfort, and your Father of mercies. I'm the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. I saved you, and I will continue to save you. I saved you in the moment you, you put your faith in me. It was me at work by the power and the strength of my spirit to raise you spiritually from the dead and to bring you to the place of faith and salvation, to place you in Christ and in covenant with me in him by the power of his blood and all that he has done. And the God who has done all of this is the God who will bring you safely to the end and bring you to the other side cause you to stand in his presence on that day. And so, my friends, we end with the idea that we are called to this ministry. And in verse 4, as he says, he comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction, in any affliction, with the comfort that we ourselves have received and been comforted from God. And so, in all these things, God is always calling us basically to the same ministry that he has. Right? And whatever it is God is doing and what God is about in the world today, <clears throat> he calls us as his hands and feet. It's the very body of Christ connected to their head to be a part of that ministry, to, to engage in it and what he is about. If he is the God of all comfort and a father of mercies, and he calls us to be agents of mercy and of comfort for others, right? And he says that there is this work that he does in us, and then he calls us then to come alongside strugglers. If you were struggling and the Lord met you there, and the Lord, you've, you've learned what it is to rely, as Paul says in verse 9, the sentence of death, this was there to to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. And if you've been there and you've learned what it is to rely not on yourself, but on this God who raises the dead, who who strengthens and comforts you, then you can come alongside others when they can't see it, when they can't feel it, when they're in that place. You can lend them your strength. That's why they call you alongside to reinforce what has gotten weak, to help them to see what they cannot see. We all have seasons of sufferings. We all take turns hurting. You may be hurting now. You may be hurting soon. Or you're hurting now, and soon it will be others. We'll take turns until we go home. And so it is among us. It is part of this whole thing. And this is a ministry that he is calling us to. Notice He's not writing this to pastors. This isn't a pastoral epistle. It's a letter to the church. 
It's a letter to you. So he's not telling pastors, pastors, go do this. He's telling you to go do this. There's so much hurt and so much need around this room. And I can go face to face and person to person. I can tell you physically and emotionally and spiritually the pain, the hurt, you know it. You rub up against it every day. There's so much suffering in the world if we walk outside of this room, the pain and the anxiety, the grief, the hurt, the homelessness, the hunger, the racism, the hatred, the divisiveness and the polarization. And we are called to be ministers of mercy and comforters in the midst of all this pain. Will you come alongside with a message of hope, with words of strength and encouragement? Will you be the presence of love? We're obligated, yes, obligated by this text and by so many others that have said, you are the ambassador. You are the, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. You've been given this ministry of mercy. And so we are obligated to come alongside the struggler, the grieving, the hurting, is agents of the God of comfort and the Father of mercies. We stand as His representative, as those who have experienced it ourselves and offer it to others. The mercies that have been poured out on you and poured out on us are meant to be shared. We are always blessed to be a blessing. We're always not meant to clutch these things to ourselves and delight in them for ourselves, but as avenues and vehicles of grace. And it is fascinating to see, my friends, that it is in this way that as we become, through the comfort we have received in our own affliction, where we see in this way that God transforms our suffering, our pain into love and service of, of other people that he transforms and, and redeems our own suffering to be grace in the lives of others, mercy to those who need it, vehicles of ministry. And you don't need to be sent. You rub up against pain and struggle every day. The question is, my friends, will you step into the gap? You don't have to call pastor. You don't have to call anybody. You just come alongside with the comfort you yourself have known in the gospel and in his presence and his walk with you every day. You can come alongside as a wounded healer. I love it's Henry Nowen who has a book called The Wounded Healer. And it's those who have been wounded and have, and have tasted, who have so much to give. Sometimes we're called to speak words. Words of encouragement to help a brother or sister remember the truth. How often do we not see it and we start to doubt and we start to fear and we, start and we just forget the, the wonderful and powerful truths that, that God has given us in his word. Sometimes we need to preach the gospel to each other to remind each other of the great and precious promises that we have to speak words. You are ministers of the gospel in that you have the words that can bring life and healing into another person's pain. Speaking light into darkness, speaking truth into confusion, right? Speaking hope to despair, courage into their weakness. You can stand as the mouthpiece and the comforter of God himself. Sometimes you're just called to be, not to speak words, and sometimes it is the wisdom you must seek to know when to speak those words and when to be, simply to be, the presence of God with somebody.
to just be with them. Just be there. Sit with them. Hold their hand. If they're weeping, maybe you just weep with them. Just the power of your presence. There's a sense in which you represent Jesus Christ. He said you're his ambassador. In that situation, in that moment, you stand, you sit, you hold the hand. You are the presence for them in a fleshy way of Christ. Sometimes just being there, lending them the strength of your presence, that you are with them and they are not alone. Sometimes you speak, sometimes you're just there, and you always pray. Pray with them and for them. Bring them to the throne of grace. Sometimes I sit with people who seem that they don't know what to pray. Sometimes it literally is that they can't pray. There are other times that I'm sitting with folks and they don't want to pray. And that's where you sit with them as his presence, and you take their hand. And you lead them into the throne room of God. You take them. When they don't know how to pray for themselves or they don't know what it is, you can speak the words for them. You can take them and to seek from God what they need on their behalf. My friends, we're always looking for comfort and support in the wrong places. 2 Corinthians 12.9, he does say, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so, my friends, I encourage you to lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does your help come from? And your help will come from the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth, who is your Father in Christ, a Father of mercies, and a God, a God of all comfort. Thanks be to God who, in Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads then everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. As we are agents of mercy. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are, in Christ, a Father to us. A Father of compassion and mercy of love and comfort, of strength and healing, of presence and power. And so I ask for this people here this morning that you would open us, tear us open from top to bottom like the curtain in the temple that that the way of your presence and your comfort and power would come into our lives and experience. That we would know you. That we would know what you're talking about right here. And though so, Father, stir us that we may be this in the lives of others. Bringers of mercy and comfort. We ask it, we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.